On this week's Patriot Nation podcast, we are joined by Taylor Kyles and Brian Phillips to break down Super Bowl 53, obviously the Patriots' sixth Super Bowl championship. Uh, It's a great episode. As a matter of fact, we had so much fun with them that we just had the entire episode just be that interview. We did the up high, down low, and too slow with them as well. So after the music, we're going to go directly into that interview. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Stick around, buckle up, and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's down the Super Bowl, the sixth Super Bowl championship of the New England Patriots, we have on our show two of the best writers at Pat's Pulpit. We have Taylor Kyles and Brian Phillips. If you're not following them on Twitter, if you're not reading them on Pat's Pulpit, they are the X and O guys. And so we brought them in here to kind of diagnose what happened and how the Patriots won. So Brian and Taylor, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, it should be fun. should be fun. So... You know, let's just kind of get let's get right into it. Big takeaways from you guys. You know what what did the Patriots defensively? I think is the story. What did the Patriots defensively do to slow down this Rams offense? Oh, well, I guess I'll kick it off. Um, one thing I think that everyone's been talking about is the coverage on the back end was excellent all night. How they went to zone, which honestly, if you told me that going in, I would have been pretty nervous because they kind of tend to give up something in zone because they are more of a man team. But they were really pretty lights out. There were a few breakdowns. I think they adjusted to that well, like obviously the Cooks play, um, which actually happened twice. I saw on, um, what was it? It was um, Turning Point, where they adjusted because they saw the Cooks got behind. And then that was why Jason McCourty decided to keep going vertical and was in position to make that play. But um, an underrated part was the defensive line. Like guys we don't really talk about. Lawrence Guy, Danny Shelton, Malcolm Brown, who I know Brian um, you know, has a history. With. Um, I mean, obviously Trey Flowers, but those guys were outstanding, man. They really whooped the Rams offensive line, which was fantastic all year. So, I mean, got to give credit to those guys up front, the big the war daddies. They were fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, I think you kind of stole it from me, but you know, for me, man, I cannot get over watching Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy in that game. And like really all postseason, how, unbelievably dominant those two were. I Landon mean, Roberts was down. really good, too, in the, in the scheme. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought he was really good. The, the linebacking core, they were they were just awesome. I mean, obviously, like Adam Butler, I don't think there's a bigger Adam Butler stand on the universe than me than like you. right now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm obsessed with what he's done and the role he's carved out for himself, like just, just collapsing sides of lines. And then Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy, you know, have just been shooting these gaps on these loops uh, and – you know, just creating pressure from the edge. Kyle Van Noy playing spy and then closing down on Goff and, and even Pat Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. Like, I mean, just 
this this bot like bottled up athleticism that we we didn't see at times at all in the regular season, and it's just it's you know right when the when the team needs it, uh, they get their best performance. It's just awesome. Oh, Van yeah, Noy's been bothered. on. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say oh, Van Noy's oh. been on the Fu tour since oh, since the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I said Kellerman was great since Thanksgiving. He's been unbelievable, and and we say it a lot. Like he's not a. You know, he we talk about it. He fits perfect in the Patriots scheme. You know, when you take him out of his role, he struggles a little bit. But I mean, he covers sideline to sideline and he's just the ultimate Patriot. You know what I mean? Like you guys obviously know more of what he works better, and I'm not that good at that stuff. But I mean, I, I love his game and he's you know, true Patriot. Yeah, big thing with him is his intelligence, man. Like yeah. there's so many times where you'll see he'll recognize a screen or a run, and he's the first guy to the ball. Sometimes he may not be the one that makes the play. But he'll disrupt, you know, he'll get in somebody's way so his other teammates can get there. Van Noy's intelligence is something I think we don't talk about enough. He's a really, really smart player. And that's why, I mean, you see it. He wears the green dot. He um, he moves inside and out, which isn't easy to do in the Patriots defense. And really, there's no drop off. But, I mean, he's such a smart guy. I can't wait. And I know, Brian, I saw you tweeted something about um, an extension. Um, trying to, yeah, something like that. I'd love to get that one in the books. Yeah, I'm working on it tonight. It'll be out tomorrow morning. But I, I mean, I think they they got to take this opportunity now. Lock them up. I can. I mean, they can get it to where they can save almost two million in cap space to lock him up through 2022. What do you think he's looking at? I think we're. I I'm going to project him like around. Let me see. I just had it pulled up at like seven point six two five million a year. Um, they'll basically like convert most of his salary this next year into signing bonus. Add like. Six million onto that, into the signing bonus, and then um, you know it'll be typical Patriots per game roster bonuses and incentives and stuff the rest of the way. But I think it'll come out to be it'll be a three year extension, so sign through twenty twenty two, and then uh, I think I've got a total value of like thirty and a half million with uh, like twenty almost twenty six in new money. But it'll come out to be it'll be less per year than Dante Hightower even. Yeah, and they'll save about one point eight in cap space in this next year. But you know, it's 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 rewarding a guy who's clearly become like you guys said, like a key role in this defense, and he's done it. Doesn't he feel like a guy who's been around for ten years? Right, he like, really does. He's so comfortable. It's, it's it's wild. So I mean, it, they obviously and you know the the deal is it's just with every deal that's signed now, it gets it gets more stomachable with with each year that passes. You know, even though the cap hits go up. The cap itself is going up, so really he's going to have the same cap impact each year, and it's a good way for both teams to kind of uh, to, to to capitalize on uh, um, him really just grabbing this role. Yeah, I mean he had over ninety tackles this year, which you know I mean sneaky too. They don't talk about it that much. Yeah, I mean you know, and and he had ten in the in the um, you know he had ten in the AFC Championship game, obviously, but like and he had a big game in the Super Bowl, clearly, but like ninety three. To, I think it was like ninety three tackles they showed. Uh, on ESPN today, and I was like, man, I, like he's just a guy that you just didn't – going into the year, everyone had been so low on him because he had been trying to fill the high tower role. And, look, I mean, you know, and, and Spags and I talked about it. You know, I have talked about it on the show multiple times. Like, he is so much better when high tower is on the field and he gets to play his role. And he does a lot of different things, but when high tower is there, he's able to kind of freelance and do different things, and he can use that intelligence, like you said, Taylor, to, you know, to, to kind of uh, – you know, to his advantage and, and, and to make plays and whatnot. But when he's in that high tower role, he may not be as great. So people were super low on him coming into the season. And it's one of those things, man, where it's just now he gets to kind of be on this tour. And and, uh, and Felger Maz was saying the other day, now they like attacked him for no reason, like 
personally, like he's terrible and he's stupid and this, it was like ridiculous. But they even said they're like, all right, we got to book him on the show because he's got to come in and gloat and shove it in our faces and like you know he, we he's, take he's a cool personality that he'll do that in a joking way like you saw him first. Yeah. Day. Oh, that was beautiful. He interacts with us. He he quoted a tweet from Pat's pulpit, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. He's, he he's he's cool. He he knows what's going on. He's plugged into the situation. You know what's crazy about him too is that his snap count has gone from. They, the last year they wanted him to take over that middle linebacker, that Mike role. And uh, he ended up playing almost 67% of the snaps. He missed three games. And obviously the last two games of the regular season, he, like, he played like 20% of the snaps just getting ready for the playoffs this year. He played like 91% of the snaps this year. So like he was, I get, he was every down. We can't take this guy off the field. The only two guys to play more snaps than him were Devin McCourty and Stephon Gilmore this year on defense. Like that shows you right there. Like if you're playing more snaps than Pat Chung, yeah. like you, you are, you are a cornerstone of the defense. For sure. Yeah. So one guy I wanted to talk about, and he's not on the Patriots defense. He was on the Patriots last year, but it's Brandon Cooks. And it kind of relates to, you know, the Patriots defense and, uh, when I looked at the at the stats after the game, I couldn't believe. It. I mean, he had eight catches for like 120. I couldn't believe the numbers at the end of the game. But for the vast majority of that game, he was invisible. He dropped a touchdown pass. He dropped really two. I mean, the set, the first one's not on him. I think the McCordy one where De- uh, Jason McCordy, where he broke it up, I thought wasn't on him. Uh, you know, the drop at at the goal line. And I know he's going to get hit. I know what's in the tight coverage, but you have to make that catch and. To me, that was the problem I had with Cooks when he was here. He's just soft. He's not He's not that big play receiver that can make the catch in traffic as he's getting hit, you know, and it just – so to me, he wasn't worth it. I mean, he got paid, what, $14 million a year by the Rams, and I just was like, there's no chance that I wanted him to get that. You know, what did you see from his performance? Obviously, you know, stats-wise, it looked pretty good at the end of the day, but I wasn't impressed the, the whole game. Well, snap. Uh, in terms of the receptions, I think at least three or four of his catches were in situations where the Patriots were basically just defending deep, and they tried to get the ball in his hands and see if he could just turn to uh, make a play. But like you said, I think the Super Bowl showed you exactly why Belichick didn't want to pay him a lot of money. And I hate to say anything bad about Coach because he seems like an awesome dude. Everyone says it. Even Devin said it after the game. He said, you're an awesome person. But I mean, I think both of those plays, if you're getting paid as a top 10 receiver, you got to catch those. Both of the balls were in his hands. It's not like I would understand if, you know, on the uh, play that Jason made, if he'd gotten his hand in, you know, it was right there. But Cooks had his hands on the ball, and then yeah. McCourty hit his arm and he dropped it. And then this, I mean, and also to get the Stephon Gilmore one was kind of tough because he had one hand. But I mean, you're getting paid like guys who make those plays all the time. That, and it's a Super Bowl, man. You got to do that. Like Mike Gervin was bugging out on uh, some show because he was like on Inside the NFL saying, you got to catch that. And he's absolutely right. And not to, I don't know if you guys touched upon it while I stepped away for a second, but one thing with Cooks too, when he was here, man, and Pat, you can attest for it too. He, you know, oh, he had a thousand yards and all this stuff, but he just couldn't get separation. He didn't fight for one-on-one balls. Like he's not, he shouldn't be getting the money. The Patriots never give him that money. Like he shouldn't be getting the money he's getting because he doesn't gain separation. He's not a Antonio Brown. Like he's getting paid like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he Mm -hmm. obviously had a thousand yards in our system, but like a lot of that was runs after the catch. And with guys with his speed, the elite guys, you tend to see they're really twitchy. You know, they're quick. They got good um, They got good knee hip bend, and they kind of burst out of their routes. One thing you don't see from Cooks is a lot of that, like, flexibility. He looks kind of stiff. He's a, he's a bulkier guy, but he's also not really strong enough to consistently – I mean, he'll win some 50-50 balls. I don't want to, you know, give him too much crap on that. But 
it's not in the vein that you see from, again, guys who are getting paid as much as he does. He just doesn't have that kind of body type where he can be as flexible as he would need to be to play for the Patriots. So, again, that's just another reason that it makes sense that he wasn't around, and I think he fits well in their scheme. You know, he has the speed to win on those crossing routes and really stretch a defense vertically the way McVay likes, but that's that's more of a um, a bonus for the Patriots. That's not something they really are willing to shell out cash for. Right. I mean, he felt like to me, you know, and clearly he was better than this player, but he felt like a Brandon Lloyd to me when he was here only because, <laughs> you know, I, I know, I, I know, but uh, he was better than Brandon Lloyd, but I just felt like to me, he's running comeback routes, catching and dropping to the ground. And I'm like, well, okay, well, you want to run a comeback route and catch and drop to the ground. Like I can get Chris Hogan to do that. Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, yeah. you know, we know how you guys feel about Chris Hogan. So like, so to me, it's like, he's just going to run, if he's going to run comeback routes, like, what are we doing? You know? And, and every now, what, like three times a game, he'll go deep and maybe he'll catch one of them a game. Like, that's you know we don't need that here, or, or he'll draw a dpi right like the dpis were the big thing right. last year right. like bringing all that all that additional yardage in you know because that's that is what you get with brandon cooks you pay for speed right that's, uh, you're just paying for something that you can't find anywhere else a guy who's got he's probably a top 10 guy in the league with speed wise right i mean mm-hmm. straight straight line speed the guy is a burner ball um, tracking and, is excellent too right, right. And, and you know and defensive coordinators get scared to death about that and corners you know con, you know they're the way they play him um, the reason he gets what he gets is because of that speed and the respect they have for it. And, you know, you'll get those DPIs, but you're right. It's not a nuanced deal. It's not, you know, there's no Keenan Allen in his game. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no shake. There's no, there's no uh, superior sideline skills, um, any of that stuff. But um, you do have to respect the speed, but yeah, you can't pay 14 million a year for it. Yeah. And Phil said that a lot of the things that like you were saying, the right. comebacks, I mean, that's, yeah. That's and I, we were saying Doris, uh, Dorset's thing is he definitely has the speed, but he's small and he's not very strong. So if you play him physical, it's tougher to get off the line. And he also doesn't have that Cook's gear where he can just fly by guys, especially if he's got contact. But he has enough speed that defenses still have to respect it. You see him get a lot of the deep attention, and it's enough that he can instill enough fear in a cornerback that he wins on those hitches, on those curls, on those comeback routes. So, I mean, he fills that role even if you weren't getting the bombs that we saw to Cooks last year. Right. So, before we leave the defense, uh, one guy I wanted to talk about, and, and Brian, you and I have had some Twitter wars about this guy, uh, is mm-hmm. Trey Flowers. And, I, you know, I just think for the Patriots, when you look at the offseason, the number one priority needs to be to re-sign Trey Flowers. And I know how you feel about it. And to me, I just think that, they haven't re-signed him yet, but they did that with Hightower and they did that with McCourty and they said, go out and see what you can get and then come back and, you know, and let's see what we can do. And I think that, you know, Flowers is going to kind of do that same thing. I think, I, I don't know, but I think they could go so far as to throw a tag on him if they really, really want him and feel like they don't want anyone else to touch him. Um, but I don't know. What do you, you know, Brian, I'll let you talk first. Cause I know we've kind of gone back yeah. and forth. So like, I want I, – I, I've never had a take or I've never had – it's not even a take. It's I've never had um, – I've never wanted to be wrong so bad in my life, right? Like, because like I, I I mean, I'm just I, – I, I'm head over heels for Trey Flowers and have been forever. All, all of us have because we know how good he is. We know how much, especially this year. He was absolutely dominant this year. But um, the, the fact of the matter is, is the Patriots just don't have the resources to tag anybody. And they – and 
whether it be Trent Brown or Trey Flowers, right now they're sitting around 18 million in cap. Yes, there's going to be a lot of different ways that they can, you know, manufacture cap, uh, you know, moving forward. But if they tag anybody, it's going to create a serious hampering of what they want to do. You're not going to be able to bring anybody else back uh, if you do that. Um, you got to be under the cap by 4 p.m. on the first day of the league year. The Patriots, you know, right now I think the cap is going to be somewhere around 100 or 17.3 or 17.5 million for a defensive end. Um, and if they were going to bring him back at less than market value or right around market value, I, that's where I say that they would have already had the deal done. Neil Cornrich is his agent. He's notorious. This guy is a hard ass, man. This guy is Bill Belichick's agent. Um, this guy has made his bones throughout the years, uh, representing college coaches. You know, anytime you hear of a bad college coach getting a huge buyout after getting fired, it's probably a Neil Cornridge client. Um, and he sets precedent and he gets his guy's paper. Like this guy does not mess around. And, uh, you know, and there's with all the teams out there that have to spend money, um, that are going to be looking for a versatile guy to, to, uh, to help their defensive front seven out, uh, there's no way he's going to get less than 17 million a year, which is we've talked about it, which is Olivier Vernon money two years ago was 17 million a year. Like if you extrapolate that to this year's cap, Olivier Vernon money is around 20 million a year. So I'm saying that he's not even as good as Olivier Vernon, which we all think he is, you know? Right. So it's so like 17 is the minimum. And, uh, and I just don't see, I just, I, they love them, but there's too much depth behind them. They've literally built and they're ready for this. They're ready to move on. That's why they have flowers or excuse me, rivers wise. They've mm-hmm. got another year of a- Adrian Claiborne. Uh, yeah. They've got Davis. They love Ufamba Kam- Kamalu. Um, and then they've got 12 draft picks. You know, I want to be wrong so bad, Pat. I want to be wrong so bad, man. I want give, give them all the money, but I just right. don't see it happening. Yeah. I mean, well, a, oh, sorry, go on. No, go ahead, Tanner. I was going to say, you know me, I'm not really the big numbers guy. I usually um, default to Brian for that. But in terms of what his value is to the defense, like, I feel like him and Chandler Jones are the easiest comparisons because they're the guys who are going to command a lot of money. It seemed like they were good guys for the Patriots, and then they uh, – well, in Chandler Jones' case, he wound up leaving. But I feel like Chandler Jones, we always saw during late in the season, especially when games really mattered, there were times where he would completely disappear. But Trey Flowers is the lifeblood of this defensive line, all the things he does in terms of getting attention so guys can win on twists, which, to be fair, I think they've got part of that in Adam Butler. That was something that he really did well in the Super Bowl was he got a lot of attention and had guys double-teaming him, which opened up room for guys like Van Noy, for Hightower, guys like that. So I'm not saying that if we lose Flowers, you know, it's the defense is going to collapse. They've got, like Brian said, they've got a lot of depth and. Belichick's creative. He's going to find a way. You know, he's probably already planning for what's going to happen if Flowers leaves. But man, I like we're. I'm pretty much all on the same page. I, I would really hate to see him go. He's a fantastic player. Yeah. No, it's it's true, and I I think uh, it's definitely it would be sad to see him go because he is dominant, and you know it's one of those guys. And I don't know if he's Richard Seymour, but to me, he's just he's close, man. He plays. He plays the run so well. He wins one-on-one matchups consistently in the pass rush. Uh, and, you know, it's just – he's one of those guys where you're like, man, like could be the anchor of your defense. And, you know, like you say, they may have to let him walk because they, they don't want to – or they can't afford to pay him. You know what's funny too is I was just like talking said, to Pat, like Evan he's Lazar. The most consistent, oh, yeah. He's so consistent. He's just like a consistent player lives in your backfield and like we said if the pats aren't willing to pay him some team is drooling and waiting and willing to pay whatever he wants i was i was talking a little bit uh to evan lazar about it and uh 
he, he was just like, well, you know, it's, it's going to be funny because I, I was telling him that, you know, I'm expecting Trey, you know, I'm not even considering Trey Flowers and, and, and Trent Brown to be in the plans. Like, I, I'm, I've made my priorities list this offseason and they're not even on the list because, in my opinion, they're kind of just, you know, that would be icing on the cake. Uh, right. But um, but he's like, he brought up a good point. He's like, you know, it's, it's just too bad that, you know, they could, you know, that the Patriots, a team could lose you know, um, and he brought up all the guys that uh, the Patriots lost last offseason. And, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, if you lose your starting running back and you lose your, your starting left tackle and all these other, you know, all these other guys uh, and you're starting your, your, your second corner, and man, how do you how do you possibly win a title after all that? And here we are. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you lose <laughs> no, man, your starting okay. it, it's just wild. Like, this is what this is what Bill does. This, like, this is the process. And, and yeah. kind of like transition into another thought, like, is this, it's an interesting debate. Um, you know, is this the most impressive run? I mean, it's hard to, you know, we don't really remember the things we might remember now. Obviously this one's fresh, but like, oh, one to now, like this might be the most impressive one, one because everyone counted them out. Circumstantially, I think it kind of is. I, yeah. I'm, I'm partial to 2014 because it was just, we saw a long stretch of them just dominate some really good teams. But uh, I feel like this year we didn't know what they were going to – they didn't know what they were going to be. Gronk acknowledged it after the Super Bowl. Oh, season. yeah. We finally found our identity. It took them mm-hmm. until the second to last week of the season to really, you know, yeah. get comfortable and find what they did well. And the defense really just started to lock it up. I think the run defense was really their big problem, and that was fixed once they kind of decided oh, yeah. to go more game play and focus in Malcolm Brown and Shelton and all those guys started to pick it up. But in terms of how quickly they got together and just became a completely different team in the last – uh, six, seven weeks, I would say it's definitely at least up there, if not the most impressive. I think a little bit of it was, it, I think we, because of the Miami game uh, and how that went down, how it, it was, yes, they lost on the last second play. And yes, the game was ugly, right? They, they got mm-hmm. gashed. Brandon Bolden looked like Adrian Peterson in his prime. Um, and, and it just didn't look good. But the, the two weeks prior to that, they they came out of the bye week and they dominated the Jets on the road by two touchdowns both running backs getting career highs and rushing yards. Then they hosted the Vikings, who weren't quite in their complete tailspin yet. The front mm-hmm. seven is still the top three front seven in the league, probably. And they just took them to task. Then they go on the road. They have the Miami performance. And then they have – me and Pat have gone back, on, back and forth on Twitter about this, this performance in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was still a good team, and they, they held them to 17 points on the road, and we started to see the defense gel a little bit, right? Right. And, mm-hmm. and, so, and so it's easy to think kind of like it, the, the, the run started after those two losses, but really those two losses are pretty damn good, pretty damn good games when you, when you factor in the, the previous two weeks before them too. So I think this was really a – I think we were kind of overlooking – how this is a, a tale of two seasons, tale of two halves, as opposed to the very last second. I feel like it was more of a first half kind of, uh, and the second half is where they kind of took off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the thing with the Pittsburgh game about me is that, yes, the defense played well in that game. The offense was terrible. They yeah. were awful. They couldn't block anybody. There were like 9,000 offsides penalties, holding oh. penalties everywhere. It was brutal. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, the all those zone penalties. Oh, yeah, and it was just – it was, you know, it was one of those things where you're looking at the offense and I'm like, what is going on with this offense where they couldn't get anything going? I mean, shoot, like one of their touchdowns was – I mean, I could have thrown that touchdown pass to Chris Hogan. Like there was literally nobody in the screen with him when he caught it. Like they zoomed out and it was just him right. on the entire side of the field. So, so right. it's like one of those things where that's clearly just a blown, blown coverage. So 
yeah, okay, fine. They scored a touchdown on that play, but like that has nothing to do with anything. And you know, and to me, I was really nervous. And then that week they lose Gordon. And right. I'm like, oh no, like the, the defense, the offense is screwed. Like, yeah, the defense is starting to play fine and they're they're doing but like I'm like, the offense, we're screwed. The offensive line can't block anybody. Marcus Cannon is like a revolving door on the right side. It was brutal. And then all of a sudden they just nobody could I mean they placed they faced the three, basically the three best, uh, you know, pass rushing attacks in the league, and shut them all down, you know, in in the yeah. uh, in the playoffs, and it was just mm-hmm. it, was, it was unbelievable. And this was their toughest route in terms of DVOA and O, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't really know exactly what goes into that, but I mean, when you're in company with like one, two, and four in the league, like that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, like it's, that. it's the toughest slate any team's ever had and as far as DVOA and That's... DVOA being, you know, it, but the funny thing is <clears throat> it, over the course of the, the Patriots dynasty, no team, the, the Patriots are far and away the best combined DVOA team. When you combine all of the, uh, the years of every team playing and all of the team's DVOA years combined cumulatively, uh, the Patriots are far and away the best. Um, but yeah, like when you look at individual years, it is kind of funny to see how it breaks out because the Patriots defense is never up there because they let up yeah. too many yards. They let up too many expected points and all these other things. But um, I mean, gosh, I mean, it's, 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 this is the recipe, right? This was right. also a different defense philosophically than what we saw or what we usually see from Belichick because everyone says the bend but don't break. I saw someone actually tweeted that to me and I said – it really – that's not what it is. Like, philosophically, yes, bend but don't break is, you know, you're just not going to let them throw it over the top and you'll make them drive the length of the field and then stop them in the red zone. But they were good enough in man coverage that they really didn't need to do that. The pass right. rush, that was when the game started to really get working. Um, Landon Roberts started playing a lot better. Like, it wasn't just they were giving up long drives that we used to see, like, in uh, 2011 when they didn't really give up a lot of points, but the drives lasted forever. Like, yeah. they were legitimately getting teams off the field. Like, against KC, I didn't understand how some people I really respect in the football community were saying, yeah, well, their defense still isn't that good. I mean, how, you don't shut KC out for an entire half of football. Dominate. Like, don't even shut them out. Dominate them. They didn't even – did they get the ball past midfield? Like, seriously. So. And then all the big plays in the second half, a lot of them were just Mahomes. Like, the throw to Sammy Watkins right. and Gilmore. Oh, insane. insane. I mean, insane three four quarterbacks that can make that throw right so yeah that was wild to me going into the game that people thought that McVay was gonna have a day I was like I'm not gonna lie I'm not really that scared of their offense I wasn't either to be honest mm-hmm. but you know I, I thought I thought with a with a healthy Todd Gurley I thought I, I I'm and I'm still shocked that they did not get the ball to him in space I said that to you Pat it, last it makes, episode makes no sense makes that no sense where, that's where my worry was was Todd Gurley how yeah. healthy he's gonna be and if he got 30 touches I felt like ooh. Patriots would be maybe in a little bit of trouble, but well, if you get this, you get the twelve personnel package that they were using a lot more in the second half of the season with Higby and Everett out there. Then you force the Patriots to go base, right. and then you've got Kyle Van Noy. All of a sudden, has to cover or Dante Hightower or John Simon or somebody is going to have to cover Todd Gurley in space. Right. And like, why? I mean, if 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 us four guys are sitting around talking about this, how how the Rams didn't sit there and go. Well, shit, we got to do this. Yeah, it's, you know? what, it's what McDaniel's. It's what McDaniel's does, and it blows my mind. It's what they right. do. If you're going to come out and you're going to defend the run, they'll spread you out, and they're just going to throw it on you. And that's in, it's not even excusable because McDaniel said he drew it up in the dirt. It was a formation. I I saw some of the stuff that said it was only eleven times all year that a team went um two tight ends, two backs, and then spread out. 
Like he just right. threw it up on the sideline. Yeah. So for McVay of all people, not to find some right. way to exploit the fact that the Patriots had four defensive backs, which they hardly did all season, and as much beef as they did and not get Gurley the ball, I, I I didn't understand that. I mean, at all. it's lunacy. And and you're right, Taylor, to your point. Like the Patriots hadn't run that specific formation all year long. They had yeah. never gone with well what two they had done ends and and in 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 uh in what's it called in shotgun with no mm-hmm. backs in the backfield right. and it was just and, and then they ran the same play three times in a row. And well, the funny the thing is about it is what they did was uh, where they took that 22 personnel package. I was going back through it and I was looking because I have a, a spreadsheet where I've got every play with every personnel package and every guy and and I went and I filtered it and the yeah it came up 16 times they had Burkhead, Gronk, Allen, and and Julian Edelman on the field at the same time with Devlin and yeah. that 22 personnel. And I went back to Game Pass and I just checked out these times and every single one of them was a tight, traditional, almost a goal line looking formation. Um, right. A couple of them were those uh, the formations in Kansas City where they had Rex kind of um, uh, motion out of the backfield. Yeah, mm-hmm. a couple of them were those, but it was still everything was under center. And they only did it they did, they ran it a couple times against uh, Buffalo in Week 17 and a couple of times against Kansas City. And then all of a sudden, it's the touch, it's the game winning touchdown drive. They're breaking it apart for the first time all year. Like, like, just it's it's insane. Like, and James Devlin is is getting covered by you know a former All Pro corner. You know, <laughs> like, like, like this is beautiful. It's, it's absolutely, yeah. it's beautiful stuff. You know, it's, what more can you say? Yeah. And he gets a lot of credit for the fact that, you know, he always, he, I mean, his scheme, when you watch a lot of the route combinations that he uses, you can tell that he knows exactly what principles a defensive of defense uses and he just picks it apart. Like with the stack formations, a lot of the time they'll have receivers run like um, the Patriots have that tight split where they'll run double outs. And it's just easy because it's hard for you to press the guy who's off the ball and it's just a quick five-yard gain. McVay will run that, but a lot of the time it's a whip route. So he, he gets wide open because the defender is just going to push downfield and then he's in bad position. So McVay is excellent at, you know, finding how you're going to – how he can exploit you from different personnel packages, your pers- from, uh, you know, all the players you have. And, I mean, again, beating a dead horse, but he wasn't McVay in that game and it was, it was really mind-boggling to me. Yeah. That's that's the difference in the game, I think. So, all right, let's let's transition away from the defense, and I do want to talk about the offense again. And the offense, you know, scored thirteen points, but it, it felt like the first half of the Atlanta game to me, and not as bad, but like just the fact that they were just running plays nonstop. They had the ball the entire game, and it was like they just they were just killing the clock, but they weren't scoring. It was like they were doing everything but actually putting the ball in the end zone and, you know, kicking field goals and everything else. And it was, but it was like, you knew at a certain point that they were going to just gas the Rams out and, you know, they score in the last two possessions of the game and, you know, win the game. Well, I mean, technically they down the ball to end the game, but, you know, essentially the last two possessions of the game and, you know, ended it offensively. You know, we talked a little bit about the formation and stuff, but what did you see from them at the beginning of the game and, you know, and things that they changed as the game progressed? Yeah, well, they they uh, when looking at the personnel percentages, um, there was no game all year. The closest ga- the closest they came to running this many plays with heavy personnel, um, whether it be uh, you know twenty two or you know twenty two with you know like we talked about or um, you know traditional twelve personnel, two tight ends, two uh, you know and one back, two two receivers 
or your standard two receivers in Devlin and, and Gronk um, was week one against Houston. Um, they had they they ran sixty two percent of plays out of heavy personnel um, against uh, against the Rams, which uh, you know if you're going to go up against this interior you know this interior defensive tackle trio, the, probably the best in the business, right? With with Donald and Sue and, and Brockers. Um, that's a ballsy way to go about it, right? To, to take it right to him and take him to task like that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's what we saw since the bye week It's, it's, it's what they came out and what they were determined to do, um, the whole way. And, uh, they stuck to it. Now, I think, I think a lot of it is a testament to how good the, I mean, this is just how good this defense was when you go into the, you leave that many points on the board as an offense and you give them that many opportunities, you turn the ball over on fourth and one and give them good field position, you know, um, it, it's just, and, and again, the Patriots special teams was excellent at pinning them deep and, and whatnot, but uh, I mean, it's just a testament to how crazy of a, of a performance this defense was because all year long, what are we talking about when they're leaving points on the board and they're bad in the red zone and, and bad in their opponent's territory, right? Where we're like, this is a, a recipe for disaster. But yeah, they, they pulled this one out. It's it's insane. Yeah, I think for I think a lot of it, honestly, at the beginning of the game was Brady just not being settled. But to start the game, actually, the uh, pick to Nickel Roby Coleman, I remember, it kind of threw off the momentum a little bit. That was actually a better play from him and not as bad of a play from Brady that, that I um, realized when I went back. Because Roby Coleman saw that Dwayne Allen was going vertical, and obviously we all know that Allen's not going to catch any same passes. <laughs> so he just passed him off and immediately went to the flat. And I'm pretty sure it was a match coverage in cover three. So uh, Roby Coleman was supposed to be going vertical, but he went right there. Brady had his eyes in the middle of the field, I think, to make sure that no one was going to jump the hitch. And as soon as he let it go, I think that's why it came out funny because I yeah. saw Nick Roby yeah. Coleman coming down on it. And it was just like, oh, crap. And then obviously it led to the pick because it was too late for him to let it go. But besides that, it was a lot of small mistakes. It was Brady letting the ball out too soon on third down when he didn't have enough time to kind of look through the field because, of, you know, obviously Donald and Sue. Um, the catch, Edelman, I thought um, – was interfered with on that pass against, I think it was Marcus Peters on the out route. Um, that yeah. was, I thought, a bad call. But it was just a lot of small mistakes that ended up just getting them off the field, even though, I mean, they had their way a lot of the time with the Rams' defense. It was just execution. But, I mean, like Brady's been doing all postseason and really all season, he put it together at the last minute when he had to. Yeah. I, and so I think Sony, you know, obviously you get the, you know, Edelman gets the MVP because he has, you know, he has the catches and it's funny. So he had one carry, but it was on a wide receiver screen. So mm-hmm. it felt like a reception to me, even though it didn't count as a reception, it felt like a reception to me, um, you know, but Sony Michelle, I mean, at the end of the game, Burkhead breaks off that, you know, 26 yard run or something like that. If Michelle's in the game when Burkhead is in the game there, and he takes that carry, and he ends up with like one fifteen and a touchdown. I think he probably ends up the MVP of the game. And and I I thought he ran well. I've loved what he's done so far this year. He's and, so good, man. He's gonna be so good. I was saying that the whole game. I was like, this kid is gonna be a stud. I mean, yeah. he's smart too. The fact that he yes. can run in so many, he can run gap, he can run zone, and you, he doesn't look uncomfortable. He finds cutback lanes. You know he improvises when he has to, or as he says, you know, he follows his rules because the Patriots running backs hate saying um, that they have vision or anything. But I mean, he's incredibly impressive as a rookie and you see why they went so high on him because he must've blown them away when they met with him personally, especially, you know, when you see him in interviews, he seems like he's well-spoken. He's very team first. Doesn't like to get the attention on himself. Yes. He said he wishes that people said we scored the game when he touched down because the hole was wide open. Devlin and Trent Brown blew it wide open. So, oh yeah. Um, 
Sony has been fantastic, man. I can't yeah. wait to see how he develops. And you, you're right. Yeah. The ball and, yeah, you can, and you can't talk to him. You can't talk about Sony Michelle without talking about this interior offensive line trio. I mean, yeah. Can, Cannon, Cannon had an underrated year. Uh, and then obviously we know about Trent Brown and how, uh, you know, what a nice addition he's been. But I mean, we're talking about the best interior offensive line trio in football, probably. Mm. Um, and, and definitely the one with the most cohesion. Uh, I think they've missed four or five games um, over the last three seasons uh, where all three of them weren't on the field at the same time, uh, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with Tooney and Andrews and Mason. Um, Tooney's next up for the contract. Uh, I think that's it's like on my priorities list. Um, oh, it's yeah. not as high. It's well, not as high yeah, it's not as high this year just because it would be one of those year early type of deals. But I think I think if there's a player on the roster right now who's who's the type of guy who would want to sign one early and get get the deal going, it would be Joe Tooney. I think they pay him pretty well, like thirty six million, probably somewhere around there. They would get him close to Shaq's Shaq's money. Um, right. Talk about talk about a guy who's earned it, right? Like oh, yeah. 99, 99.7% Beast. of snaps, like a want going one-on-one with Aaron Donald uh, on that final touchdown drive when they were in tw- 22 personnel. He's got one-on-one blocks with Aaron twice. Donald. And, twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah, I was going to say, Donald said he had, he had one-on-ones twice. I mean, just in, in, insane stuff, man. And then D- David Andrews, obviously, just, you know, just give give him, you know, he's signed through 2020, but just give him $100 million for looking that good in the parade. <laughs> that was. And then you you mentioned the continuity on the offensive line. You got to throw Cannon in there, too. I know he misses yeah. a lot of the games because of Waddle, who's also been there for a while. But when I was researching for the game and I looked back at the Rams game in 2016, I was like, oh, my God, this is everyone except Nate Solder. It's all yeah. the same guys. And you can yeah. see it when they pass guys off with the stunts. That's why it's so hard. Like, yeah, you can pay out the wazoo for, you know, a really good offensive line. But Belichick did it the hard way. He drafted his guys. He developed them. Tooney and Shaq Mason have both – and David Andrews, all those guys have gotten significantly better every year. Cannon took a while, but, you know, ever since 2016, he's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And these guys have been together for so long. They have a bond. You know, they can communicate without, you know, verbally communicating. They know each other's body language. I mean, it's it's fun to watch, and maybe you know next year we're gonna have another shakeup probably at a left tackle because Trent Brown. There's I don't see how he sticks around, but then the right. guys that win for another you know three four years. So that's and, one yeah, of the most exciting things about this offense and why they're gonna be good for a while. And if Dante Scarnecchia says you're a left tackle, you're a left tackle. So yeah. like, he's, not, <laughs> he's not he's not kicking the guard. Like when he you tells know, you to do anything, you do it. Right. Like if Dante says he's a left tackle, that's where they drafted him at. And, and you know, it's funny. It, it, this ties into the Trey Flowers conversation a little bit because these are the kind of, the kind of guys when Trey leaves, if, if he leaves, they're going to get a third-round comp pick in 2020. If Trent Brown leaves, they're going to probably get another third-round comp pick in 2020. And if you look at this offensive line this year, you've got a seventh-round pick who they acquired for a pick swap at left tackle. They've got a guy they acquired for trading Chandler Jones at left guard. they got an undrafted center. Uh, undrafted free agent at center. They've got a fourth round pick at right guard, and they've got a fifth round pick at right tackle. These are the kind of picks that, like, when you have to move on from these premier players, Bill acquires this late round draft capital. I mean, they've got twelve picks this year, yeah, and so after this, like, like, and we know that they're going to flip those for for okay. some pro personnel, like they like they like to do. Um, um, so, I mean, that's got to be another thing I'm going to be looking at, you know, in the next couple months is like who, who is who is available for some, you know, for some late capital to trade because this is what Bill's been doing, you know, uh, trade for pro personnel, grab one or two guys you like in the draft and then keep moving back and stockpile. And, and this is the, and this is how it works, man. It's just it's wild. 
And then for yeah. all the crap that Bill gets for, you know, not being a great drafter. And yeah, he's got, you know, the Jordan Richards, he's got the Tavon Wilsons. But a lot of this roster and the guys that are contributing so much are guys that he drafted, guys that he brought in, developed, you know, had them like their little niche roles when they first got there. A lot of them, even Hightower, you know, uh, fans and, you know, the media weren't really very high on them early, thought they were busts. And then you see two years later, they're cogs in the offense or the defense. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what they do with the draft this year because he's had some gems in the, and undrafted, you know, with Jace, guys like J.C. Jackson, like you said, David Andrews. Right. Like, it's wild. I mean, you can have all – I mean, everybody rants and raves about the Chris Ballards and the Rick Spielmans and the Howie Rosemans and, and these other GMs around the league, Ryan Pace. You know, these are good GMs, sure. But, man, when you do it like – when you do it for with the longevity and you do it this long and, and you do it at, at such a consistent – you're consistently ahead of the curve, and you're not uh, you're you're not constantly chasing after the salary cap and having to kick the can down the road on a bunch of guys just to keep a core of guys together, and then building around a rookie contract. I mean, it's it's insane. What Bill Bill Belichick's never going to win GM of the year, but we all know that we know the deal, right? Well, I, and it's not just that. I mean, you look at what he did. He picked up an extra second rounder in the draft, like with draft day trades. He picked up an extra third rounder with draft day trades, and then. He picks up two third round compensation picks for losing big money guys, and they still win the Super Bowl after losing those big money guys. And so it's one of those things where you look at it now and you're like, oh my God, look at all these picks that he's acquired. And he's been doing it his entire career. I mean, for God's sakes, he traded Dion Branch for Randy Moss and Gerard Mayo. Like, this is what he does. He just like, he turns these guys, you know, he turned, uh, what was it? He turned a second round pick into Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. Like he just, this is what he does. Like he just, he does this every single year. He does it all the time. And people, right. like the casual fan doesn't know that. So when they see this, like, oh my God, you know, they traded Branch or like, for instance, you know, with Flowers, but they could eventually turn into him with a comp pick. Like the casual fan doesn't realize that. But like, if we really go back and look at his past deals, like you'd be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right, they get they get Trent Brown this year on a, on a pick swap. They get mm-hmm. Kyle Van Noy for a six a sixth yeah. round seventh round pick swap. <laughs> Jason like, McCourty, Jason McCourty. Like I mean, it's just and you know Danny Shelton. You know people. John Simon, like, you can't forget him. John Simon yeah. bring him in in week five when when fifth round draft pick Juwan Bentley who blows up and 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 goes into the starting lineup and becomes their third like, three down linebacker. Uh, goes out and on IR, they bring in John Simon. I mean, yep. it's it's just they've got their they've got their their methods, they've got their principles, and and nobody. I was uh, reading Mike Lombardi's book on the Gridiron Genius about uh, about his time with the organization and how in depth they are and the portfolios they have on every piece of coaching and player personnel in the professional ranks. Like they've got a they've got if they need a safety for the practice squad. If they feel they want somebody for us, you know, for a slot guy for a practice squad spot, they've got a, a file cabinet full of guys, and you know yeah. that they go to. I mean, they're they're because they have a whole staff devoted to this stuff that knows their entire principles, and they're you know it goes all the way up to Nick Casario and everything. It's insane. It's it's insane to see how they how they go about their business, and there's always an answer for every problem that comes up. And another right. pickup they made uh, mid season that really didn't get talked about, and we didn't see the fruits, um, you know, kind of come from it this year. But Obi Melifonwu, 
he's a freak athlete. He's a smart guy. He seems like a hard worker. He's someone that could absolutely have a role, you know, next year if they need a little bit more help at defensive back, you know, if McCordy retires or, you know, whatever is going on with Chung, anything like that. I mean, they got a freaky athlete who was squandered with the Raiders. So, I mean, you can't really hold that against him. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the amount of guys they picked up this year that really were afterthoughts that could – either had a big role this year in even in a couple games or that could going forward is amazing and something that I don't think we talked about enough. Belichick killed it this year. That's a good and point. Casario. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. So I, there is one one more guy I want to talk I so I want to hit on this guy and I also want to hit on the uh that Rams decision at the end of the game. Um but you know another sixth round pick steal in the draft. As a matter of fact 199 to be honest with you uh is Tom Brady and Brady just you know he did he did what he does again. And my favorite stat of maybe of all time is he now has 10 fourth quarter or overtime drives in the Super Bowl to either take the lead or tie the game. 10. Second and then only nine. Right. So that's the thing. So he has more drives than he's even played in games. And so uh the second on the list is Eli Manning with three. So nobody else in the history of the NFL has come anywhere near what he's been able to do, and he's done it consistently over and over and over again. And, of course, the fourth quarter rolls around. It's a tie game. He drives them down, throws two gorgeous passes to Gronk, and, you know, they end up winning the game and scoring a touchdown on that drive. And you just you look around and you just like – you just know when it comes down to the fourth quarter, if it's close, you're going to win the game. And that's why last year was such a surprise, obviously, but – but it just, I mean, he just seems to do it every single time. But this game, what did you think about his play, you know, in this game? Obviously, outside of that one drive, we went 4-4 for 67 yards on that on that touchdown drive. What did you think about his performance, you know, Super Bowl Sunday? Well, I know it's easy to say that, you know, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's supposed to be the GOAT. and He struggled in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the season. It took him until the fourth quarter to really get into his rhythm. But that's pretty disrespectful to Wade Phillips, who is one of the best defensive minds in football mm. on his own. I mean, the scheme he came up with is fantastic. He made man look like zone. He forced Brady to hold the ball longer than he wanted to because he wasn't getting the information he needed quickly enough. But, you know, the problem with Brady is, like you said, it's you can't keep him in the game late. That's why like when the fourth quarter rolled around, you're like, as long as L.A. doesn't just take over at the end or something like that, Brady's got a shot. Because once he figures out what you're doing and, you know, it's over the course of three quarters – you can't pull out that many new things. So that's why, you know, they went to the sideline and fixed it up in terms of the uh, 22 personnel and uh, found a way to finally beat Wade's defense. But, I mean, he showed up when he needed to. Once, you know, he had the answers to the test, he cashed it and I mean, he got another Super Bowl ring out of it. So it wasn't his best Super Bowl performance. You know, it's not his first where he maybe had a shaky start to it, but he did what he had to do. He was Brady when he needed to be Brady, and I think really – you know, you can pick it apart as much as you want, but he's got his sixth ring, and I think he earned it. Yeah, my favorite part. My favorite part of Twitter is um is picking apart all of Tom Brady's Super Bowls to show how not good he is. Um, look at how my favorite is like the still frame of like somebody being wide open and being like, "Oh, this pass was super tough to make." Like, okay, like every pass has to be some extremely tight window, 50-yard, like, crazy throw on the run. with Behind the back. Like, right, exactly, <laughs> um, for it to be good. You know, uh, I, I mean, I, I I didn't think Tom was good. Like, the first half was probably the worst first half Tom played in a while. Uh, he wasn't mm-hmm. good, you know, and, and not just because of the pressure, not, you know, this and that. He was missing throws. Uh, 
yeah, Wade Wade Phillips was nasty, right? With, with like what you said, Taylor, with uh, the disguise and the coverages. Um, when you're tricking Tom Brady, like that's gross. Um, yeah. They were doing a lot of, like you said, that that cover three, uh, that Nick Saban, Bill Belichick pattern match type yep. of stuff. Um, it's uh, that old YouTube clip, but um, man, it's it, what can what else can you say about it? Like. We don't have a good way to quantify QB wins yet. So, like, you know, the anti-QB wins crowd will always be, you know, oh, it's a team sport. It's a team sport. Football is a team sport like NASCAR is a team sport. Okay? Like, you know, like the drivers the drivers cannot win the race without a pit crew. We know that. Like, nobody – no driver can. But – Every driver is 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 the one getting the you know is the one getting the milk sprayed on his face at the end you know or doing the stupid right. crap that NASCAR guys do. They're mm-hmm. the ones who go down in history as the ones who win the championships. There's not a pit crew. There's not a picture of the pit crew, you know, uh, you know, on the list of all time Daytona 500 winners. Now that is the most I've ever talked about NASCAR in my life. I was gonna say <laughs> you know way too much about it, but, <laughs> but like that that is. Uh, that and like Ricky, like Ricky Bobby with the "What do I do with my hands?" That's like all my math. <laughs> um, but like that's what this is, and and like you, like I mean, you're right. That's that stat is insane because as every quarterback grows up, they they think you know what is the dream? The dream is to have that scenario happen once in your life. If I can just get there one time, game tied fourth quarter and that's insane. And to have it happen ten times and. <laughs> And in nine Super Bowls, and to win six of them, it, like we've got to figure, we we need MIT shows Harvard the- to like come up with a metric that we can show how this works. Yeah. Like we need this figured out so the analytics community will shut up about and it. And it's like you know, it, you can look at it and be like those three that he lost. Like you know, I mean, some of those drives came you know twice in one game, but I mean, both those Super Bowls, like he was put in a position to win. Obviously, they're a strip sack away from going three in a row. To be honest, like if, if we're if we're being honest, it's Tom Brady. And going back to this week's game, like he was great when they needed him to be. That's all you can ask. He right. got to that point mm-hmm. and he made a big time throw. It was an un. That was one of the best throws he's made in his career. That was an like I was speechless. Pat, I texted you right after. I was like, oh my god, yeah. it was that was yeah. unreal. I'm getting like heart palpitations thinking about Gronk, man. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy for Gronk after oh, all the year he had and like, and everything. And when we're talking about his career, he's, he's the best tight end in the history of the game. And we're talking about a guy who's trying, you know, there's no real, uh, there's no real statement performance for him in his career. Like, a, you know, with Tom Brady, what were, if you had one video clip, to play it's 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 tom with his hands on his head after that first super bowl like oh my god what's you know this this iconic moment for me it's him it's gronk gronk finally got one one or two of those now he got the the catch over eric berry in the afc championship game to bring him Mm -hmm. down to the four yard line i'll never forget that uh and then the 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 exact same thing happens uh in the super bowl it brings him down to the two to score the go-ahead touchdown i mean two iconic performances and two iconic plays for him i feel so awesome for the guy i think we're underrating yosoy fiesta just a little bit we're talking about like uh, we're talking about clutch guys and obviously brady is the first person you think of with clutch performances with that stat but gronk when's the last time that you can remember where brady went to gronk late in the game and he didn't come through yeah i was thinking about it he does it every single time it's a good point man and that's you know it's it's one of those i think it's a different discussion for a different day about edelman with the hall of fame and everything but edelman's the same way where you know brady calls edelman's number and he's there and he makes the play and 
and that's what he does. And, you know, so we'll see. I, I think we can, we can push that until it, we could talk about that for another hour. So let's not do that right now, but uh, you know, but it's interesting, but you're right. Like those guys come through in the clutch and they make the plays and they need to be made. And Gronk, it's interesting because in 2014, his performance in 2014 really kind of gets lost, but he had a yeah. phenomenal yeah. game against the Seahawks. And obviously, you know, I mean, everything gets lost in that game because it's just the Malcolm play. Like, that's what everyone remembers about that game. And so, you know, I think this time, like you said, Brian, that catch, you know, to get them down there and the catch against Barry, those are going to be remembered because that's what set up you know, game-winning plays as opposed right. to, well, obviously the other one was game-winning, but, you know, but you understand what I'm saying here, but, you know, but they were losing at the time, and so that kind of put him in position to take the lead, and, and obviously the Chiefs ended up whatever, to tie the game and everything else, but, but you know, that performance against the Seahawks doesn't get remembered because it's only the Malcolm play. Now right. those, those particular plays will be remembered as plays that help the Patriots win you know, another Super Bowl and it's directly, yeah, directly yeah. tied to it. You know, it's funny. He, I mean, he caught two touchdowns against Ron Darby in the Super Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, it's like the guy, the guy has been a killer, you know, yeah. an absolute killer. Uh, but yeah, to have the iconic moment, the, 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 yeah. the you know, that, that's what it's about. You know, the still frame, there's a beautiful picture. I forget the photographer's name uh, from the, one of the Globes photographers of him just, just mossing Eric Berry. Mm. And it's just it's just unbelievable, and that's that's uh, that's what I'll remember. I you know I hope he comes back this year. Um, I, I still think you know there's plenty there's plenty for him to accomplish. But uh, yeah, man, I'm excited for him. Yeah, and even 2014 yeah. in that Super Bowl, he caught the uh, touchdown where he just undressed Cam Chancellor on the double move, and oh. that was obviously overshadowed by Chris Matthews because Russell Wilson just took him down as quickly as he did. Didn't he? Didn't but, he I mean, own KJ Wright too? Yeah. Did, yeah. Who did he have the bump and run on? Was that Bobby Wagner? I think it was right. Was it right? That that bump and run was like that was a dime too, and an yeah. unbelievable. Play. Oh, actually, no, you're right. That was that was um that was KJ Wright. You're absolutely right. The, yeah, um, but it was both of those guys. I mean, right, right at the end of the first half. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, interesting. It was great, and, and you know, I mean, great performances by by Gronk and, and by Brady again in the, in the fourth quarter. So there's one thing I want to talk about. We're gonna. We're gonna we're having so much fun with the interview. We're gonna do our uh, up high, down low, too slow uh, with you guys. Um, but before we get into that, there's one thing that kind of been a little bit of a topic of debate, and so I wanted to kind of chat with you about it. And it's the Rams' decision at the end of the game. And so I'll set the scene for you. It's first and ten for the Patriots at the 33 yard line, with just as I think it's like 2:25 left in the game. Patriots get called for actually two offensive penalties, uh, one bad. holding, one illegal hands to the face, and. You know, Romo talked about it, at, you know, during the during the break or when it happened, I guess, during the game. And he said he would decline the penalty, which is what the Rams ended up doing. The clock stops. They ended up getting the ball back with a minute and 20 seconds left. But the thing is, the Patriots are already in field goal range. They kick a field goal. They, t- they go up by 10. And obviously the Rams ended up not, not scoring at all. But to me, if it's me personally, I'd rather get the ball back down seven with 40 seconds left as opposed to down 10 with a minute, 20 seconds left. I just think there's no real, there's no question there for me. I'd much rather do that, especially with the rules, the way they are now with kickoffs, it's almost impossible to get an onside kick at this point. So to me, it's just like, what are we doing? Like take the, you know, take the penalty, push them out of field goal range, and then trust that your defense can get a stop. And then 
maybe the Patriots will say, well, you know, if we can get a first down here, the game's over, so we're going to throw, and you can force an incompletion, and you don't need to waste the timeout. Well, so, let me ask you this, Pat. Uh, so, like, wait, because so, I know, I remember they, they got, what was it, uh, eight, about eight and a half yards on the second down carry, right? So that moved them to, the, then they, that's pretty much where they ended up kicking it from, and they ended right. up kicking, what, it was a 41 or 42-yarder, right? Mm, yeah, it was 40. So, so before yeah. that run, the penalty mm-hmm. would have moved them, what, back to the 40-yard Four, line? 40. 43 back to the 43 yard. Yeah. So I think that makes it a no brainer, right? I think I I really do Mm -hmm. because I I was thinking about it with that run that skews it because that's what, you know, moved it up. But yeah, you're talking about 10 yards there. Um, I think it's a no brainer. I think you have to do it, but I can, I mean, I can understand it. It it would help if you, I mean, a big, a big part of it is that, that hindsight though, of letting up the nine yards on the, on the second down, uh, mm-hmm. second down play, you know, because you're right there. Now it's a 51 yarder and you can, there's, you know, the chances you're probably looking at a 30 or 40%, you know, or 30% less chance of making a 50 yarder than a 43 yarder or 42. yarder. Well, well, on the play though, he did, he picked up four yards. So they were at the 29. Um, so they only, they gave up, they only gave up five yards on, on second down. So they were at the 29-yard line, so that turns it into what, like a 46-yard field goal or something like that. So you're not even talking about a 50-yard field goal. You're only talking, you know, somewhere in that mid mid to late 40s range, you know. And so even if yeah. they didn't have any more yardage after that, that's why to me, I mean, it's a 50 – it's really what it is is a 15-yard penalty because you're taking the four yards off plus you're adding the 10 more. To me, I just looked at it and said, like, what are we doing here? Like, you, right. know, you have a chance to be only down by one score as opposed to be down by two scores. And I know maybe the Patriots missed the field goal, but, like, I don't know. To me, I think you have a better chance of, of scoring a touchdown there. You and, know, even, and even situationally, like, I understand to a degree you want to trust your guys and, you know, you, you trust them to get the stop. But the Patriots are running the ball pretty successfully all game. You're late in the fourth quarter, and you know they're going to run the ball in any situation they can. Why not put them in first and 20 where you know it's kind of a – it's an iffy decision for them to actually run it again. Instead, you keep them at second and six, and they it's perfect running territory. I I thought that was a really weird decision because, like we saw, I mean, they just – they were blowing them off the ball. So, I agree. I, I would have definitely accepted the penalty. Yeah. So – Although, you know, they did get the stop technically, but that was – I mean, even the stop was like half an inch, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, like I said, I mean, to me, and even uh, I look at it and say, all right, well, maybe the Patriots ran it, you know, would have run it three times. So, you know, you run it once, it goes down to the two minute one, and they run it again, and it go- drops down to minute 20, and then you run it again, it drops down to about 40 seconds. And so, yeah, you get the ball back with 35 seconds left. But maybe the Patriots attempt a long field goal, which I don't think they would have. I think they probably would have punted in that situation. Especially but, with the way the offense was playing. Right. And, and Ryan Allen. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Allen, Ryan Allen and Matt Slater, like that's an inside the 10 for sure. Yeah, yep. which is true. And so, you know, so maybe you're saying, well, shoot, we're going to get the ball at the five-yard line. But to me, again, at the five-yard line with 35 seconds left is is better than at the 25-yard line with a minute 20 left down 10. It's just like you're not going to score two – you're not going to score twice. It's kind of stupid. But but anyways, that was that was my opinion on it. You know, I, that's what I would have done. But, hey, whatever. I'm, I'm cool with it. So, um so this has been a lot of fun. Let's do. Let's get into. So we're going to get into up high, down low, too slow for those of you that are just listening or listening for the first time. Basically, what we're going to do usually we pick five, but there's four of us. So we're going to have each one of us pick an up high, each one of us pick a down low, and then we have one specific too slow that we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to start since I'm looking at the at the screen here. We're going to go um, for the up high. We're going to go Brian, 
Spags. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Brian, Spags, and uh, and then those two. All right. Taylor, so you're next, and then I'm last. And then I'll yeah. start. We'll do we'll do a uh we'll do kind of a snake draft. Snake so then draft. I'll go, yeah. then I'll go <laughs> I'll go first and then Taylor and then so on and so forth. All right. All right, so, uh, so I'm, I'm up for the up high, man. My up high is going to be Albert McClellan, man. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, I was going to go easy all, here with, like, Edelman or something, but I guess going. No, man, <laughs> like, up. Albert McClellan, like, we all know how awesome he was. And, you know, with block with the two block punts, I believe, in that Miami game. Um, he's been a, a stalwart on special teams all year. Uh, he had the best penalty in the history of the Super Bowl. Uh, and I believe mm-hmm. the second quarter of that game with that hold on that uh, that um, that blitz, that punt block blitz yep. that the Rams brought, McClellan got caught holding, and it saved a punt block touchdown that yeah, would have given – it, it almost certainly would have been a touchdown. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and next thing you know, I mean, that, that would have been a crippling a – cr- I mean, just a crippling touchdown to give up. Uh, especially with with how hot the uh, the Rams defense was starting to finally get their footing a little bit, um, and uh, and and stick you know stuff the run a little bit too. Um, Albert McClellan, man, way to way to bring it home, way, way to play some smart football. That's a great call, and that's another mm-hmm. guy we didn't even talk about midseason acquisition. Yep. The, you know the teams were a mess, and then they bring him in and, and you know, they they right. and Humber, yeah, yep. and they turned it right around, and it was like you know. Uh, thank God. I mean, they couldn't cover a kick to save their lives. And then, you know, all of a sudden they bring these two guys in and they have a pretty good, you know, pretty good teams unit. So uh, they made a play, know. I think, almost every like Once they got there, they were making plays yeah. every week. Some weeks yep. there's multiple. They were, yeah, they were really good when they got here. Yeah. So, so for me, I'm, I'm going to take the easy way. You guys can call me a homer, but I have to go with my guy, Julian Edelman. I mean, not only is he my second favorite athlete of all time behind Tom Brady, that's probably the reason why I'm picking him, but I mean, the work that this guy did in this game was unbelievable. They don't win that game with a lot of people, but they really don't win that game without Julian Edelman. They really couldn't move the ball downfield consistently without number 11. And, uh, you know, I think he made some big, big catches. I mean, and he's just the clutchest, most clutch receiver we've had here. I mean, he just makes plays, you know, just plays hard. A true Patriot. I, I love the guy. And I'm easy way out, but MVP, he was unbelievable. I think right, I'll go back on the um, the more obscure route. I'll go Ryan Allen. I mentioned him earlier. I mean, he consistently put the Rams inside their 10-yard line. Him sneaky and MVP. Matt Slater. Sneaky very MVP. sneaky. I mean, for the Rams to have to drive 90 yards every time they get the ball, I mean, no wonder they couldn't get anywhere. Obviously, the defense was incredible. But it's kind of hard to go on the field knowing you got to go that far every single time. Every and, almost so good. And Johnny Hecker got a lot of fanfare. Honestly, I thought he had a couple bad punts. Like, I don't really know why he was getting all the – attention um obviously well because he's more famous but ryan allen had maybe his best game of the season so i'm gonna give him some love too all right finally got retribution for hecker stealing his job in college <laughs> and uh, his record right. his Super yeah. Bowl record yeah yeah and he broke his record but he oh what a game what a yep. game he had. so it's a good call uh my up high is him a little on the obscure side too you brought him up already but uh joe tooney is my guy and you know the thing is is that that the offensive line in general did a phenomenal job blocking the touchdown. Obviously, it was right off of his gap, you know. But the big thing to me is that on that drive, on that final drive where they score a touchdown, both Gronk catches, he's one on one against Aaron Donald, the you know, back to back defensive player of the year. And Tooney's taking him one on one and completely shut him down. 
on both plays uh, and gave Brady time to throw. And, you know, without him, I mean, you know, if Donald gets in his face, then neither of those plays happen. So uh, he had a great game. And like you said, hopefully he's getting paid soon. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. So that's our, our four up high. Uh, I'm going to start off the down low and, uh, and Brian, you're probably gonna be upset at me because this is the one you probably want, but Chris Hogan. What? Where oh, I was going to say him too. I was going to say <laughs> We're him all going to say Chris Hogan, bro. <laughs> that was mine. I'm like, please don't say it. <laughs> I mean, Chris, like this guy, you know, and I like Chris Hogan. He had I think. an unbelievable Super Bowl 52, by the way. So I was going to have a big game Sunday. Ooh, started off slow. And he just, you know, it's one of those things. And I, and I like the guy personally. I mean, I don't know him personally, but like, I, he seems like a really cool guy. He's got beautiful kids, you know, and he seems like he has like a really cool family life with his wife being a doctor and she travels back and forth. It's like a crazy mm-hmm. situation and an interesting story, but like, Man, he just – he was just – he was a – Looks like he lost a step, man. Like, he's on the wrong side of 30, it seems like. It really hit him. Even even in, you know, Super Bowl 51, he couldn't beat man coverage in Super Bowl 51. Yeah. And, you know, he hasn't really been able to do it since. And so, uh, and so you know, Hogan Hogan's my uh, my down low for, for this week. Am I up for the down low? Taylor, you're up, Taylor. We're going um, up. Okay. Oh, Brian's last this time. Try to, try, try to, try to figure it out here. It's not that difficult. It's just a snake draft. <laughs> this is tough. All right, I'll go. I'll stay obscure. I may honestly have to go to the Rams for this one because I was trying to think maybe Patriots defense, but I thought they were really good too. I might honestly go uh, Marcus Peters. Because okay. He talked that talk and didn't live up to it. Not at all. Man coverage. I mean, Edelman put him in a blender. There was the one, I think it was the uh, option route. He got a little creative, but he made Peters look bad. And Peters is not a man corner. He looks like it because he's tall, he's thick, he's a pretty long guy, but he's not there. His quickness is bad. He's got terrible footwork, and he was exposed in man coverage by Edelman for some big plays. Um, so I'm I'm going to go with him. Okay, love it. For me, um, I know he made a big kick, probably the biggest kick since Vinatieri. But, Pat, you know my stance on Gostowski. I knew when he kicked the first one, I literally said to my buddy, uh, he's going to miss one this game, so I hope he misses this one. And there he goes, misses. He misses a kick in every Super Bowl, man. It's like it drives me nuts. Yes, he made that big one, but I think if that was like three or four yards further back, that was missing too. So he, I mean, he's a hard attack when he, I, I honestly didn't even want to watch the kick. But to be fair, he got jinxed ball. by Jim Nance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that oh, 31 kids. I'm like, Shut that's my buddy. Yeah, he's gonna miss one. That's why I said he's gonna miss one today. Yeah. Just miss it now, just get it out of the way. It's the first five minutes of the game. Yeah, brutal. You know what? And I've had a conversation, I've, I've talked to people about this just quickly. I've talked to people about this and to me personally. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at how many terrible kickers there are in the NFL. And yes, it's better than what's out there. Put it that way, right? And that's the problem. I mean, you have guys like Zerloin and you know, and Tucker. But for you know, for every one of those guys is five other bums who can't hit a field goal anywhere. So, and- yeah, and so that <laughs> you know, I, it's a tough situation. I hope they bring someone in to compete with them, but realistically, I, I, well, I guess he's not back, right? Well, well, here's the deal. I mean, yeah, he's a free agent, so um, you know, he's the highest paid kicker per you know on annual value in the league, and he's now a free agent. Do uh, do the Patriots maybe use that franchise tag again on him? Um, it'll be somewhere around four point nine. Um, if they can't get a long-term deal done, you know, he's 13 years in the league. Obviously it's a little different story when you're a kicker, but, um, it'll be, yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see what happens there. Um, all right. My down low, 
Oh man. Um, I think my download has got to go. I got to go with, um, I got to go with the Rams offensive line, man. Uh, you had two weeks to, you had two weeks to prepare for, uh, you know, for, for, Yes, the Patriots do a lot of complex things. That amoeba front six, you know, they came out with that six six one defense they were running, but um, you know they did not handle the twists and stunt games at all. And uh, you know, when you have Jared Goff, who's limited in what he does um, and needs to be put in good positions, uh, they needed to have a, a very good game, and they had a or they had a really poor game. Um, Blythe, their right guard, is just he's bad. Uh, and Saffold's going to be a free agent. Saffold's, you know, a veteran. That guy's been with that organization for a long time, uh, putting up with having to move different positions and having to teach Greg Robinson and, and, and play next to trash guys like him, uh, and, and for years. And uh, and even he wasn't that that great this uh, this 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 game. Um, and it cost him a, a Super Bowl. You know, uh, they needed to have a good performance. They needed to put that number one rush defense or run. Excuse me, number one rush offensive line. Uh, out there, um, and they just they just didn't do it. So uh, that is my uh, my two my down low. Those picks were way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, Are you kidding me? Marcus Peters is solid. To no, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you know I, it's a great call with the with the offensive line. I think Goff too. Mm-hmm. I think it's at the last six games before the Super Bowl, his his uh, quarterback rating under pressure was like fourteen point three or something ridiculous like that. So you knew that was going to be the key to the game, and they even said it before. Giardi tweeted out before the game that you know that a play a Patriots player thought he was going to crap his pants, uh, you know, and he did because he was under pressure. And I think a lot of it has to do with that offensive line. So I like that. So the two slow. We talked about this before the show. Uh, it's it's kind of a one person we all decided on it, uh, and it's got to be it's got to be Sean McVay. Uh, McVay just he never he never changed anything about his offense. You know, he's the guy that was well, inventive. Figured, got him there, you know. Right, and he just – and it just, you know, like he never adjusted. And, you know, it, it was it was shocking really because it was like they just kept doing the same thing and it wasn't working. And they were like, oh, we'll just keep doing it because whatever, it will work eventually. And it just never did. And Belichick coached circles around him. And he literally and- praised Belichick for the same thing at the beginning of the game. He's like, you can you, – what you can guys do, you're always adapting. He praised I- him. The well, they talked about – he was, like, excited. He was, like, yeah. excited. He's mm-hmm. like, I can't wait to see the game plan. I can't wait to yeah. see their game plan. And that was weird to me. And I, I understand, like, wanting to give props and, and, and that stuff. But, like, man, this is the, this is the effing Super Bowl, man. Like, yeah. like my God, you've got to be on, on it. Like, now, I, I am not – the, I, I'm still pro Bill, Bill knew he had him right there. Right when he said that, Bill knew he had him. He's like, oh, I got, yeah, got for my sure. back pocket. For sure. Um, I, I think uh, I think too much is being uh, – I think – and this is, you know, general sentiment always happens on Twitter like this. Like, now it's now everything's swinging the other way. Like, oh, man, what a terrible performance out of McVay. And is he is he really the answer and all this stuff? Like, man, he got Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Like, he got Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Like, that's how good this guy is. He's 33, we know. Like, okay. But, you know, this guy, this guy is the Pat Mahomes of NFL coaches. Like, he's the next guy. He's the next wave. Like, this is it. This is the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, you know, this is a tough learning experience. But what did he, what did he do after the game? He comes out and he says, I got out coached. Here right. it is. I got out coached. He's the humble about it. You know, he took it on himself. It's going to suck for him. But, yeah, he, he knows. He came in. He got out coached. Uh, and um, that, that's, you know, he's going to have plenty of other chances as long as they can get a halfway decent quarterback in there. 
And right. I always I, thought too, I was like, there's no way a 33 year old coach in his first Super Bowl is going to out coach and out scheme Bill Belichick. Like I knew that going in. I was like, I just can't see that happening. Let mm-hmm. alone a quarterback who was seven years old when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. Like, it's like, <laughs> the, the, another, thing that was, another thing that was so crazy. And, and Pat, you talk about him never changing the game plan. And, and that's kind of how they were all year, you know, like, Hey, this is our best stuff. We're, we have better skill guys than you stop us. Um, but like at the end of the game, after the field goal gets kicked by uh, by Goskowski, makes the field goal. It's a ten point game. He he brings over uh, Goff to the sideline, and the mic'd up has him say, "All right, well, all right, here's the deal. So we're gonna, you know, we need to get down there quick, and uh, you know, I'm gonna give you some good stuff now." He says, "I'm gonna give you the good stuff now." Like, man, no, 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 no. You had to have that out in the first quarter, bro. Like, you're that, that's, that that's, you, you had to get that out. You had to get that out like two weeks ago in the film. Really saving, like, saving it. Like, uh, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you're gonna oh, see prevent, but like, man, you got to get that out of there. That was yeah. crazy. To me. It's crazy. You know what? It's interesting. Before the before the game, I said, and I think I said on the show last week, like I felt like in 15 years, when you know McVeigh's coaching in his sixth Super Bowl or whatever that he's going to be sitting down talking about how he got to this position. And he's going to be saying, I learned so much from Bill Belichick and going against him the first time and just getting my butt whooped and getting out coached. And, you know, I learned, it was a learning experience for me. And, and so, and I, I didn't realize it was, it was going to be that noticeable, but you know, but it's one of those things that I just feel like now it's going to be up to McVay to see if he can change what he's been doing. How is he going to learn from this experience? Is it going to make him a better coach or is it going to make him lose confidence in himself? And so I think you'll really see what McVay is made of. And obviously, and I think the Rams too, they have now a decision to make with Jared Goff. So, you know, a lot of things in flux, but I think McVay still uh, is kind of that next guy. And again, we'll just see how he responds, you know, from, from this game. So, And it's funny you bring up like how he may learn from Belichick. I was thinking about that today. Belichick could have made this a very scary place for NFL defenses because now McVay, you know, he's going to see, I got to be more adaptable. I got to, you know, be flexible because his scheme itself is really good at taking advantage. Like I said earlier, defensive principles, but now he sees, you know, when you face the mastermind, that's not enough. And you really just gave him another, you know, tool in his toolbox to be like, all right, now I'm going to adjust this way. And I'm going to tailor my, my uh, offense to make it even harder for you to prepare. So, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of scared by, uh, what we're going to see from McVay in the future, but I'm also excited as a football fan. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a great point. You know, so. the last thing I'll last thing I'll say about the Rams though is that their window is still very much open. Oh, they, yeah. uh, they they still got that rookie quarterback deal that everybody and their brother is 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 they're building their teams around these rookie quarterback deals that are ticking time bombs. You know, if you want to win one Super Bowl in a four year window, cool, build your team that way. Uh, but the Patriots obviously do, are doing it a little differently and having some you know pretty good <laughs> success. But the, yeah. the the Rams window, they still have some time on the end of this thing where. Um, obviously, they've got their big contracts down uh, on on their big players, and if they can if they can draft if they have a good draft this year, uh, they're going to be very scary for the next couple of years. Um, you know, and Wade Phillips was talking about it today how they're planning on you know kicking the door in next year, so uh, yeah. they'll still they'll still be that same core. Uh, and I, I you know it, they're still going to be a scary team in the NFC. The NFC is still going to be nasty. Get a run yeah, blocking linebacker, and they'll be or a run stuffing linebacker, and they might actually have a pretty good shot at uh, right. stopping the run more consistently because Chief yep. Littleton got thrown around in that game. Oh, yeah. 
Was he the one that? Uh, no, no, never mind. I was thinking of High Tower, but High Tower that yeah, High Tower plays defense. The Patriots. Oh, so yeah. Probably didn't, probably <laughs> didn't lay out Littleton. So, but uh, gentlemen, it's been a blast. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, I mean, how could it not be? The Patriots have won the Super Bowl, but but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you guys are super knowledgeable, so we appreciate you coming on. Why don't we, uh, Brian? Start. We'll start with you. But where you know where can people find you? Interact with you? Obviously, you write for Pat's pulpit, but where else can they find you? Yeah, at B Phillips underscore SB for SB Nation. Uh, got an article coming out tomorrow uh, with that about this Kyle Van Noy extension that I expect. Um, I'm going to be doing a series the next uh, over the next until free agency starts over the next month about uh, priority stuff that we're going to be calling out the Patriots house cleaning series. So uh, be a lot of cool stuff coming up. Great, awesome. And uh, Taylor, go ahead, man. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so my handle is at T K Y L E S thirty nine T Kyle's thirty nine. And uh, I'm actually going to be working on tomorrow. I'm going to be coming out with a thread on some of the guys on the defense that really didn't get as much fanfare. I mentioned earlier, the defensive line was really great, but you don't really notice those guys because they're the big bodies to get attention, you know, all those things. So I'm going to try to put a spotlight on them and try to turn that into an article as well. So Taylor, Taylor, Adam Butler. Adam. Oh, he's in there. Yeah. Oh, he's in there, baby. I got you covered. Uh, uh. (laughs) Oh yeah. We love the Adam Butler, man. And I love Pat's pub is going to be loaded because I'm loaded. Working, I'm working on an article right now. Uh, I was at a little event with the goat Tom Brady today uh, up in person, like, like steps from was crazy. So, uh, you know, shaving, shaving his beard off for charity. So working on that article as well. So hopefully around this time, uh, around the time this comes out, that'll be out too. So a lot of stuff on the pulpit, gentlemen, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, as always, you know, it's, it's been great. Spags, it's always fun, you know, talking with you. And Absolutely. Bringing, bringing two more guys on was a lot of fun. Thank you guys and again. So we'll do it that's again. That's it, man. That's the, whole, that's the whole damn episode. We're not even doing anything afterwards. So uh, <laughs> have a great week, guys, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, so nice. Have a great one, guys.